Uh, do you have a World Series ring? I actually have three World Series rings. And tomorrow's opening day of the baseball season, uh, the day that we're taping this, tomorrow will be the opening day. And uh, I'll bring those out on opening day, and we all uh, get to wear one around my office. It's kind of fun. Hey, everyone. This is Chad Harms, and you're listening to Testimony, a podcast telling the stories of how and why people became Christians. On today's show, we have the testimony of Jeff Orch. Jeff is the president of Gateway Seminary in Los Angeles. Gateway is my alma mater, but before recording this interview, I had never met Jeff. In fact, I should probably be calling him Dr. Orch. But about a year and a half ago, I was in an event where he was being honored. As part of the presentation, they played a video about Jeff's life, a video that contained his testimony. It is a powerful story, a story that I knew I wanted to share on this show. Jeff's adult life has been one of ministry. You'll hear about that in this episode. Before becoming president of Gateway, he was the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention, and before that he was the founding pastor of Pathway Church in Gresham, Oregon. He's also authored 10 books and been a chaplain for... I'll let him tell you about that in a minute. So yeah, Jeff's life has been a life of ministry. But as you'll hear, nothing about Jeff's early childhood suggested that he grow up to be a Christian leader that would influence thousands of other Christian leaders. Today's episode is about how God used some incredibly deep questions about life, Sunday school, the fair, and four spiritual laws to save Jeff's life and soul. Before we get to that, we need to talk about those World Series rings. For the people that don't know, uh, did you play center field or how did you get those uh, World Series rings? <laughs> well, when the seminary was located in San Francisco, uh, I was asked to be the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants. And for 10 years, I served in that chaplaincy role with the Giants and invested a significant amount of ministry time in the ball club and in the players. And so uh, when the players won the first World Series, to my great surprise and delight, they insisted that I be included on the World Series ring list. And I was uh, awarded a player's ring, a World Series ring. And uh, then when they won it in 2012 and won it again in 2014, they did the same thing twice more. So, yes, I do have three World Series rings, and they are unbelievable pieces of jewelry, but let me tell you. Here it is. Struck him out. And for the first time since 1954, the Giants are world champions. Dr. Orch, tell me about your childhood a little bit, but more specifically about uh, your experience with Christianity and the church growing up. Well, I was born in Georgia. But on my third birthday, my mother took me and fled for her life across four states. And we hid out in Texas for the next couple of years, trying to escape uh, my biological father and her first husband, who was a violent alcoholic. Uh, So my first memories are of that trip and of starting over life in a pretty meager way in Texas. My mother uh, remarried a couple of years later to a man whose uh, last name was Orge, and I started using his last name. Uh, I still had a different legal name, but I used his last name, and I did that, frankly, until I was 13. And so my, my childhood was marked by alcoholic chaos and difficulty. My mother's second husband was uh, also a person who struggled with alcohol. He had a less violent uh, 
demeanor. And so it wasn't quite as violent as the previous relationship, but nevertheless, it was equally chaotic. So from the time I was born until the time I was 13, that's the kind of family life I had. Uh, my mother also had a, two other children, so I had a brother and a sister. Uh, they came along with my mother's second husband. And so that was the family that I knew growing up. And then in terms of our relationship with Christianity during those years, uh, it's safe to say that there wasn't one. Um, our family never attended a church together ever in my lifetime. Um, didn't It just didn't happen. The man who my mother married, who became my stepfather and later my adopted father, uh, he had come from a Christian family, and my mother had as well, but um, neither of them were at all interested in the gospel or church or any anything like that. So that was uh, that was my upbringing, and there's a couple of other aspects of that that are I think important for my whole story. And one is this issue of identity. From the time I was four or five years old until I was thirteen, I lived under an assumed name. Um, my legal name was different, and I went by the name Jeff Orge. And so this was back in the late 1960s, uh, you know, early 1970s, where things were different. And you could go to the small town elementary school and explain the situation. And the principal and the teachers would say, OK, we get that. And, uh, you know, not not uh, I won't brag too much here, but I was really good in school and they liked me as a student. And so I wasn't like a problem in any other way. And so why not just look past this name thing and, you know, go by the name that I was uh, given and that they allowed me to use. But uh, I'll get to this maybe part of the story when it comes to my conversion itself. But uh, one of the really critical areas in my areas in my life was just this whole struggle with identity and who I was and what it meant and what that would ultimately mean in my life. So anyway, that's my uh, growing up story in my family. And uh, it morphed there, of course, into my conversion when I was 13 and how we go on from there. Okay, so before we get to that, uh, kind of as a contrast, tell us about your uh, adult life and primarily about your your ministry and uh, career. Well, my adult life has been completely opposite to my upbringing. Uh, I married uh, Anne, my wife, 42 years ago. And we started a Christian home together. We have three adult, three children who are now all adults, who all three uh, serve the Lord and uh, are involved and engaged in ministry leadership in one way or another. The uh, uh, <clears throat> our family life has been marked by uh, a total commitment to Christ and to allowing uh, our family to really revolve around that commitment, and so. My growing up family contrasted with my own family is night and day, black and white. Couldn't couldn't be really any more different. Now, my ministry over the over my uh, adult life really has had uh, about four, about four phases to it. Uh, my first phase, I guess, well, I guess maybe you'd say five phases. My first phase was the first early training years of being an intern and a, then an associate pastor and being shaped for ministry in that regard. But when I was in my mid-20s, I took my first ministry assignment uh, where I was the senior leader and I became a, a lead pastor of a church. It was a more traditional church, but a healthy church that really wanted to grow and do some good things. And so that was my first ministry. 
And then in 1989, when I was 30, uh, I left that church and moved to Portland, Oregon to plant a church. And that was sort of the second major phase of my life. And I thought that would be my life's work. I had always trained and prepared to be a pastor and then to be a church planting pastor. And I thought that was what I would spend the next 30 years doing. So I moved to Oregon with that in view and was happily doing that until 1994, about six years later. And uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, which is something maybe we'll come back to and talk more about in a little while. But uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. And during the same time I was diagnosed with cancer, the search committee for the executive director's position of the Northwest Baptist Convention contacted me uh, and asked to me to interview for that position. Now, that was a really big change for me. I had never imagined myself working for the denomination. I was very favorable toward the denomination. I really admired the people who worked in it. I liked what they did for me and how they helped with my education and missions and programs and all the things that were good about being a Southern Baptist. But being involved in leadership, that was not on my agenda. <laughs> but nevertheless, through the cancer experience uh, and through that committee contacting me at a crucial time in my life, I decided that God was calling me to do this. And I left. And then for the next 10 years, I was the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. So the first three, <clears throat> after that first training phase, the three main phases of my life were pastor, church planting pastor, and then denominational executive. And then the fourth phase is the one I'm still living in today, and that was 18 years ago. Uh, the seminary, Golden Gate at the time, now Gateway Seminary, invited me to be the president. And um, I moved here and have been doing that ever since. So I guess my life has been lived as a four-act play, if you will, pastor, church planting pastor, denominational executive, and now seminary president. And that's been the, the panorama, if you will, of how God has used me uh, in ministry. Okay, so there's a uh, there's a little bit of a gap in there where you aren't doing Christian ministry from 13, I guess, until that started. Uh, so can you tell us what your life kind of revolved around during those years? Yes. As I mentioned earlier, my mother had some Christian background. And so when I was a child, about 10 or 11 years old, uh, maybe 12, somewhere in that time frame, and this is all... A uh, long time ago, and you know, it was, it was there was no strategic plan laid out, so it was in that time frame. My mother decided that I needed some religious instruction, and so she started dropping me off for Sunday school at a local Baptist church, and that church was called Elmcrest Baptist Church. I would go there for Sunday school. I uh, never stayed for a worship service. My mother would come and pick me up after the Sunday school. Uh, just to drop off and pick up things just like you did for little league practice, that kind of thing. And so I went to that Sunday school a few times over that year or so. I don't remember how many times, uh, but I did go enough that I, I started knowing something about the church and who it was and some of the people there and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, then one day when I was just about to turn 13, I went to the West Texas Regional Fair, and as I walked off the midway into the exhibit building, I saw this sign, large banner that said, Elmcrest Baptist Church Public Opinion Poll. And I thought, that's, that's where I've been going to Sunday school. So I went over to the booth, 
And I said, what are you guys doing at the fair? And the youth pastor recognized me from having been to the Sunday school. So he said, hey, we're, we're doing a survey. Uh, would you like to participate? We're asking some general interest questions and some spiritual interest questions, and we'd like to know what you think. Well, I'm, you know, almost 13. I'm pretty proud of my opinion. So I thought, yeah, I'll do your survey. And uh, I stepped up to the table and they started going through the survey with me. And about 20 minutes later, they started uh, into the part which presented the gospel or which asked me if I was open to the gospel and those kinds of questions. And within a few minutes, uh, they asked me the last two questions. Uh, Do you know for certain you have eternal life and that you will go to heaven when you die? And I said, no, I don't know that. And he said, the last question, would you be willing to take a few minutes to find out how? And I said, yeah, I, I would actually. So they read through a pamphlet with me called The Four Spiritual Laws, that famous Campus Crusade booklet. And there at the fair, I prayed and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that changed everything. A common theme on this show is how God works in people's lives before they choose to become Christians. In a minute, you'll hear how God was working in Jeff's life before his conversion at the fair. Before that, though, I want to remind you of why I'm sharing these stories. I hope that some will give their lives to Jesus, and many will be encouraged to share their story with others. With these goals in mind, I want as many people to hear the show as possible. I'm thankful for how many times it's been listened to already, but I'm hoping for so much more. So I hope you're asking, how can I help? First, please take a moment to leave a rating on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every podcast you listen to asks you to do this. Why? It's one of the best and easiest ways you can help a show be heard by more people. Second, please share this episode with people that you think will find it interesting or valuable. If you know any people who like the Giants or graduated from Gateway Seminary, please send them the link. Third, please donate money to the show. It costs money to produce this show, plus I'd love to be able to pay for advertising. So really, anything you can donate helps. We've had a little bit of money come in, and it's been so helpful. You can donate by going to testimonypodcast.com and clicking on the big yellow button. So again, there are three ways you can help this show be heard by more people. Rate, share, and donate. You should also subscribe so that you don't miss when another episode comes out. On the bonus episode with Jeff that'll come out in a couple weeks, you hear about the closest he ever felt to God. There's a story about him having cancer, and you definitely don't want to miss it. One more thing before we return to Jeff's story. I'd love to hear and share your testimony. You may not think it has much value, but one of the reasons I do this show is because I think everyone's Christian story is important. In fact, Jeff mentions this at the end of this episode. So no matter if you think it is boring or not, please head over to testimonypodcast.com And tell me your story by filling out the form. Now, back to the ways that God was working in Jeff's life before his conversion. I went to the fair with no spiritual thought at all of anything like that happening to me. But in those years up until that point, there were several streams that were flowing together. First of all, um, I had lived a rather chaotic life in my family. Second, I was getting to the point where I was starting to watch other families and I was realizing there's people that live differently than us. What, what's, what's that about? Not every family's like mine. 
and I could start to see some differences and they were concerning to me. Another issue is this identity issue I mentioned earlier. I, I was really starting to question as a young teenager, who am I? I don't even go by my real name. What, what is that about? What, what do I do with that? And that summer, just remember this, this all that I'm telling you about when I was 13 happened in September of that year. I was to turn 13 in October. The fair was in September. But that previous summer, I had had a major identity crisis moment. Um, I had made a Little League Baseball All-Star team. And as you know, in Little League Baseball, you have to prove your identity with a birth certificate. And you have to prove your residency with a proof of, of uh, you know, uh, residence and all of that to keep people from cheating and assembling these All-Star teams. Well, when it was just our team in our community, no one cared what my real name was. But as soon as we started winning games and advancing through the tournaments in Texas, and ultimately we played, by the way, for the Texas State Championship, it was quite a summer. But while we were advancing, we reached a point where it became a major issue that there was a player on our team whose name did not match his birth certificate. And it ultimately led to a pretty significant confrontation meeting where the Little League officials were meeting with my mother and with me to try to sort out what was happening. And if this was an attempt to cheat, circumvent the rules, or just exactly what was the circumstance. And I remember leaving that meeting, uh, just crying my eyes out and going out to the car. And later my mother came out and I told her, this is ridiculous. This is done. I'm not playing anymore. Baseball's uh, over. Uh, I'll never put you through this again. I'll never do this to myself again. And my mother consoled me and said, no, I think we're going to find a way, uh, you know, it's going to be fine. And ultimately to little league baseball's credit, they did find a way they, they worked it out and I was able to play and no more controversy, but you can imagine as a 12 year old, 13 year old boy, um, what this did to me. And so all of this is flowing together. I, I realize I've had a chaotic upbringing and there are other families that are different than ours. What are some reasons for those differences? Who am I? What is my identity? Who, who am I supposed to be? What does that mean? How long do I keep living this lie? And then uh, a third issue was, I guess, through that Sunday school experience that I was describing earlier, I'd started having some questions about spiritual issues that I didn't even really know how to frame yet, but there was something happening within me. So when I went to the fair that day and they shared the gospel with me and told me that God loved me, and had a plan for my life, that I had purpose and meaning, and that I could discover a whole new dimension of life by committing my life to Jesus. And not only that, I get to go to heaven someday. I, I can't describe to you how good that news was to me and how much I embraced it that day. And so I prayed at the fair and received Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was 13, or just about 13, just the month before I turned 13. Real quick, if you Google Jeff Orge, it won't be hard to find video of him preaching. I did this and found a sermon called Living Through Chaos. The title struck me because of all that he went through in his childhood. There's a clip that I think is worth playing for you because I think it describes one of the things that he started to have that day at the fair. Listen to this. We have a message of restoration, forgiving sins and being forgiven. And we definitely preach that to other people, but today I'm preaching it to you. That in the midst of your chaos, you need that message as well. Well... Here's what I've tried to say this morning. You are living through a disorienting time of chaotic change. 
while it was a very different set of circumstances, so were these early believers. The crucifixion had happened, the resurrection had happened, but was not yet widely known. They were in fearful hiding. Not sure what to do next. Overwhelmed by their circumstances. Cowering in fear. Perhaps a little embarrassed or even ashamed what they were going through. If that's your circumstance this morning, the message is clear. Jesus speaks peace to you. Peace, peace, peace. Um, And then that started a journey. So for the next 10 years, from age 13 to 23, I was in that church, Elmcrest Baptist Church. I went from convert uh, to disciple, uh, to intern, to associate pastor in 10 years. The pastoral staff that was there was basically the same the 10 years I was there. The pastor was there for 27 years, and I was there in about the middle of those 27 years. Uh, The associate pastors and many of the deacons and other leaders were very strong and stable in the church, and they all just took me in like a like the, like a son, uh, like a like a nephew. I mean, they they treated me like a, a brother, and so for that ten years, the church, Elmcrest Baptist Church, really raised me in the Christian faith. They taught me everything I know about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a Christian. They taught me doctrine, and they taught me church polity, and they taught me. Uh, uh, how to share my faith. They taught me how to manage my money. They taught me about marriage and, and, and how to get ready for marriage. Uh, it was 10 fantastic years. And frankly, I thought all churches were like this, by the way. <laughs> it was a big shock to me when I discovered that there were some churches that were not quite that healthy. But this church for 10 years, uh, you know, changed my life. And I know it sounds kind of corny, but I, I, I used to, I've said it this way many times. Jesus saved my soul, but Elmcrest Baptist Church saved my life uh, because they just taught me everything about what it meant to live out the gospel and gave me those first leadership opportunities. And then I'll, I'll just tell you that when I left there, uh, a family in the church paid for my seminary education. And that's the kind of way they cared for me and launched me into ministry. And so during that same 10 years, my family never attended church. Um, I remember one time, I, when I was first starting to get opportunities to preach, I remember that um, my mother came to hear me speak. And right before the service started, I think my my uh, my stepfather, who by that time my mother and he had divorced, but I think he slipped into the back of the room too. But if that's true, that's the only time that they ever attended a service together uh, or that our family was ever in the same church building together in my lifetime. So... That's, uh, that's kind of what happened from 10 to 23, or 13 to 23, yeah. Uh, another very consequential moment in my life was when we made the decision to move to Oregon and plant the church. You know, I was in the Midwest in a reasonably sized church uh, with a small staff and a relatively good financial base and uh, a promise for the promising, you know, opportunities for the future. And when we decided to go to Oregon, a lot of people thought we'd lost our minds. It's like, man, you, you know, you should stay in the Midwest. You could go to the South. You could pastor a bigger church. You know, there's all these opportunities for you. Why would you go to Oregon, plant a church with four families in a, a middle school gymnasium? 
Well, that's what we felt God wanted us to do. And, I, and I'll say it this way, Chad, up until that moment in my life. Now, remember all the story I've already told you about identity struggles and all the things that go along with that and about coming out of that healthy church for 10 years and going into my first pastorate. Um, up until I got to be about 30, you know, my ministry life had been on what I will call a career path. Uh, I, I, I did those 10 years growing up. I, I saw ministry done well. I wanted to be a ministry leader. God called me to that role. I went to college. I went to seminary. I got a doctorate. I mean, I was on a path. And quite frankly, uh, as I look back on it, I was really on what I'll call a career path of ministry. But when God called me to go to Oregon, it was the first time in my life that I really responded to God and did what he called me to do, not what the career path demanded. And I don't know if that makes any sense to you or if it'll make any sense to your listeners, but it was the first time I clearly know I did what God wanted me to do, no matter what anyone else thought or no matter what it looked like it was going to result in for the long haul. And the reason it was a consequential moment was not just that I obeyed God in the moment, but when I made the decision to move to Oregon, as soon as I got to Oregon, the panorama of my life opened up. Who is the most important person in your life and why, as far as your faith goes? My wife. Uh, my wife, Anne, is the most consistent Christian I've ever met. Uh, we've been married for 42 years. We met a year and a half before that. I, neither of us, uh, we were laughing the other day. We, we almost don't even remember life without each other. Um, and my wife has been with me through it all. Uh, she has served in so many ways to make my life so much better. Uh, she really is a partner in ministry. Um, she has, uh, never, never blinked on anything God has asked us to do or any challenge that we've faced. Uh, she's always been consistent and made me a better man because of her relationship with me. And so I, I would say that, uh, without, without a doubt, my, my wife, there are other people that, uh, that ought to make, that ought to make the, the list too. the man who led me to faith in Jesus Christ. His name is Burtis Williams. He's been a lifelong friend. I uh, just saw him about a, less than a year ago. He's now uh, about 80 and a wonderful, wonderful example of godly faithfulness over a lifetime. The pastor of that church that I mentioned, T.C. Melton, uh, was my pastor for those 10 years, but also just a mentor and a supporter and a promoter and a friend all the rest of my life. He's now in his uh, 90s, still alive as well. I just talked with him on the phone at Christmas time to call and thank him again for his investment in my life. Uh, there's been a series of other men who discipled me, motivated me, supported me, cared for me. Uh, too many to list, but I'm just thankful that God has brought a series of those guys along in my life over time. So my wife towers over all those men, but then uh, number two on the list would be a whole series of men tied in second place who've made a contr contribution to my life. Why are you a Christian? Oh, that's a great question. And I can answer it because I had to answer that question when my oldest son asked me that question as he was struggling as a teenager about why are we, why are we Christian? You know, two reasons. Number one, the Christian faith offers eternal life. You get to live forever in heaven. But even if that's not true, 
Okay. And I believe it is, but even if that's not true, the second reason we're a Christian is the Christian faith offers the best plan for a full and meaningful life. Now the Christian ethic, Christian moral standards, Christian uh, relationships. When you live the Christian life, you are going to have the most productive life possible now and eternal life in heaven. So for me, that's why uh, I, I, I would, I would rather be a Christian than anything because I believe those two things to be absolutely true. I'm going to give you an opportunity to add something at the end, whatever you want. But uh, this question, you know, I think it, Hopefully this will give you an opportunity to tie it all together um, because, you know, you start off having your first memories leaving and uh, fleeing, really. And uh, and then you have this conversion experience in this life and ministry. Uh, but very simply, uh, how has Jesus changed your life? Well, first of all, he gave me meaning and identity. Those are the two things I was looking for as a 13-year-old boy. He gave me meaning and identity. And then later on, Jesus gave me purpose. He gave me a life's work to do that really mattered and that gave me fulfillment and satisfaction. So Jesus gave me meaning and identity and then purpose, which has led to meaning and satisfaction over the years. But then Jesus has uh, transformed me personally. You know, every one of us, no matter how we're brought up, Every one of us comes to adulthood with some pretty serious flaws, character weaknesses, uh, areas that we need to grow and develop, different problems that we have to overcome. Every one of us has these. Jesus has been the means by which these things have been overcome or at least managed in my life. And I'm I'm not exaggerating this, nor am I trying to be melodramatic. If I had not met Jesus, I would have lived my adult life as a driven, perfectionistic, legalistic hedonist. And I would have been divorced a couple of times by now, and I would have lived a life of moral choices that would have been destructive for me and everyone around me. And I would have done that not because I'm necessarily an evil person, although we all know what the power of sin does in our lives. I would have done those things because I would have been desperately trying to solve the issues of meaning, identity, and purpose. And I would have been doing them in a way that is wrongly defined in our culture and that I would have wrongly defined for myself, and it would have led to destruction. So Jesus saved me from that kind of ending in life by coming into my life, giving me meaning and and identity and purpose, and then transforming me over the years to help me learn to live that out in ways that were healthy and not destructive. That's great. Uh, as far as your testimony goes, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, the main thing I would like to say is that my life has uh, been driven and motivated by my story. I think about every, every, not every day, but every few days and sometimes every day, I think about my life and what I would have been like had I not met met Jesus Christ. And I also think about the fact that a church took the gospel to the fair. And I think about the fact that uh, so much of my life uh, 
has been, has turned out the way it is because of those things that happened to me a long time ago. And I want those same things to happen to some other 13 year old boy in our community. So I, I don't, I don't let my story, um, cause me to think, look how far I've come and look how better I am and look how much it's done for me. I let my story motivate me to say, well, who else is out there just like I was that really needs the gospel? And so I'd say to everyone listening, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story of how they came to faith in Jesus and everyone's story matters and they're all good. Let your story motivate you not to puff up and think about how far you've come and how strong you are and how spiritual you, you what, what a spiritual leader you've become, but let your story motivate you to remember there are people just like you used to be who desperately need what somebody told you and to take the gospel to people, to take the gospel to people. And in light of that, I just want to end with one more little tidbit of the story. I told you about my family growing up and uh, the lack of interest or emphasis on spiritual things or anything like that. And that my mother uh, had an interest in getting me some spiritual uh, direct or spiritual instruction. So she dropped me off at a Sunday school. That's all there ever was. Well, I, I mentioned a fellow named Burtis Williams and he led me to Christ in uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old, 25 years later, the same man, led my mother to Jesus. Same guy. And that's because he had stayed a faithful minister in our community for all those 25 years. He had maintained a relationship to me and through me to my family. And while that relationship was somewhat uh, tangential for many of those years, it was always there. And Burtis was always serving and caring and available to my family. And when my mother started expressing spiritual interest, started attending a church and started uh, thinking about and talking about a relationship with God, she turned to Burtis Williams and he led her to faith in Jesus and ultimately baptized her at a small church in Texas where uh, she started attending. And the last 17 years of my mother's life, she was a Christian and an active church woman. And she and I had a very different relationship. We'd always had a good relationship, but then we, we had a special relationship those last years. So I want that part of my story to be out there too. If you're interested in connecting with Jeff, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore dot org. That's I-O-R-G. And you can find his books on Amazon or wherever you get your books. If you want to follow this show on Instagram, our username is Testimony Pod. As always, you can connect with me on all social media platforms where I am Chad A. Harms or by going to TestimonyPodcast.com and filling out the form there. 1 Corinthians 1.6 says, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. I hope that God will confirm the testimony about Jesus among you and will compel you to give your life to Him or share your story with others. Thanks for listening.